Hello and good evening. Welcome to another episode of Between the Presets, a podcast by me, Rudy Stetner, that comes out every Monday evening. Here is the place where anything that can be said in polite company is fair game for discussion, even if it occasionally offends. Let's roll. Please be advised that this episode of Between the Presets contains material that may be unsuitable for younger audiences. If that is an issue, please listen at another time or on headphones. Thank you. Hello. It is Monday evening, the the first day of the month of Kislev on the Jewish calendar, the year 5784, 13th of November, 2023. Sometimes in times of um, world instability and uh, a troubling news cycle, uh, I retreat into more soothing um, obsessions, hobbies, what have you. One of the things that uh, I used to like thinking about when I was a kid, I used to daydream about it in school when I should have been paying attention, was the uh, topic of the strange planets, planets quite unlike ours orbiting the sun. When I was a child, um, the, there were... The official count was nine planets. The most out, outer-lying planet was Pluto, uh, a tiny planet that takes 248 years to orbit the sun. That would mean that the beginning of the current orbit of Pluto around the sun would be in the year 1775. Since I was a child, um, Pluto had was demoted from its status of being a planet. They say it's too small. But what I found very interesting is that uh, the discovery that Pluto has several moons, the largest of which is known as Charon, C-H-A-R-O-N, and that that largest moon uh, is almost the size of um, Pluto itself. It could be argued that they, that as far as the other moons, that they function as kind of like a twin planet, so that the center of gravity lies not within uh, Pluto or Charon, but between the two. Secondly, the moons that go around them are, rather than our moon, which is round, are more like football shapes. Now, we think of the orbit of the uh, Earth around the Sun and the moon around the Earth as being minutely predictable to the point that we can make uh, highly predictive calendars uh, of the length of a solar year. Apparently, uh, on Pluto, these these orbits are so erratic 
that you can't predict uh, where in the sky the moon is going to appear, uh, various details of uh, the you know uh, orbit, the length of the day on these little planets. I find it amazing that uh, astronomers are able to observe such distant uh, celestial bodies and to describe them in such detail. And also, this, this bit of information on my minor obsession of, uh, you know, outer-lying planets kind of made me deeply grateful for the predictability of the Earth and the Moon's orbits. Every once in a while, it's good to step out of the assumptions of one's own environment and one's own language. The last bit of uh, information about Pluto that I'm going to dwell on at all here is that uh, a ray of sunlight takes eight minutes to travel from the surface of the sun to planet Earth on the average. And uh, it takes uh, a ray of sunlight five and a half hours to go to Pluto. And uh, Earth just happens of all the orbiting bodies in the universe. It's one that we know of that is just the right distance from uh, a sun, you know, our sun, that it can produce and sustain life. And, um, you know, I find that just amazing and awesome. Now, um, on a darker note, uh, I always viewed scientific subjects taught in universities as being a kind of place of refuge from some of the insanity that goes on in the study of um, history, sociology, what have you. I associate loud student demonstrations, cancel culture, what have you, as more or less being the domain of the liberal arts. Uh, a news item came to my attention that really shook this assumption that I have. A video showed a mathematics professor uh, stepping his students through a very long um, equation, not a word of which I understood, that filled an entire whiteboard. It was the type of science that probably enriches my life in ways that I can't imagine. But this professor was uh, at MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And in the middle of class, a guy stood up, started giving a speech about uh, free, free Palestine. And, and during this political rant, totally unrelated to the scientific equation, of course, 
the professor stood back and respectfully waited for this uh, so-called student to uh, to finish his rant. The guy ranted a little while longer and concluded with unfurling his uh, Palestinian flag. There are no rules on many universities for uh, the parameters of free speech. Free speech often includes physically assaulting uh, proponents of different views. It also includes um, preventing people or who are presenting opposing views from even speaking. And there is a total lack of um, courage and firmness on the part of uh, university administrators in putting a stop to this behavior. Fortunately, there is a movement afoot in which uh, alumni of the various universities that are most egregious in their attacks on free speech and the safety of everyone on campus are withholding their contributions to the university and uh, urging other alumni and would-be contributors to do likewise. What's likely to get quicker results is that uh, some people who go to recruit for jobs, you know, company heads who are going to recruit for jobs on university campuses are uh, looking at some of the people who are uh, most uh, outspoken and offensive and saying, uh, we do not want to hire people who are like this, who bring discord to a work environment. So uh, look for a job elsewhere. And uh, I think it's deliciously ironic that uh, where the left had been using uh, cancel culture against uh, proponents of, say, political conservatism, that that same, um, that they are now discovering that canceling can go two ways. And that, yes, you can speak your piece, but I have a right to speak my piece, and I have a right to associate with you or not. One of the trendy chants now that takes place at uh, high-volume, low-IQ demonstrations is free, free Palestine. Now, what's interesting about the word free? In a political context, I view being free as being able to speak my peace without going to jail. I view it as freedom of religion, uh, the uh, right and ability to practice my religion, and the freedom, and this is very important, to uh, work at a profession, and if I don't like the terms of my work to pick up and find some find uh, a better job elsewhere freedom to travel 
so when I think of a free country, I think of these and other freedoms that we are familiar with in our American legal system and in our Bill of Rights. But free is an interesting word. When I buy tea or coffee, uh, I have the option of getting it, getting caffeine-free tea or coffee. I can look for foods that are cholesterol-free or salt-free. So in examining the phrase free, free Palestine, uh, which since we're talking about a political system, I assume that they were talking about creating a free country with the various freedoms kind of like out, outlined in the Bill of Rights. But no, it's not free in that sense. It's more in the sense of free of something. Not free of salt, not free of cholesterol, but free of Jews. Now, one would think that uh, on a university campus that they would start unpacking these slogans, uh, examining a political program, and say, what does free, free Palestine mean? Unfortunately, uh, that is not done. Instead, what we seem to have is the prevalence of politics as a fashion statement. A lot of these proponents of free Palestine, as in Jew-free, don't seem to ask and don't seem to care what happens when you remove a population of 7 million people. Well, on October 7th, we kind of got a preview of just how they would move um, 7 million Jews from Israel and rename it Palestine. And apparently it does not involve moving uh, Jews to another country. It involves uh, transferring them from above ground to below ground, or more likely, uh, up a smokestack. And this this is not something that was said. It was something that they filmed and boasted of. And not only that, um, the uh, perpetrators of the October 7th attacks made it perfectly clear that they will do this again and again until the state of Israel is wiped out. And um, this point of view is apparently very fashionable uh, in wide circles of college campus life. And when Israel fights back, it's called genocide. Uh, there is another term for what Israel is doing in terms of the unfortunate civilian casualties that have resulted from this war. And that term is collateral damage. It means that when combatants are mixed in with the civilian population, inextricably mixed in, that uh, it's 
inevitable that some civilians will be killed. This happened during World War II. This happened during the Vietnam War. And records show that Israel has gone to extraordinary measures, even endangering its own soldiers, uh, trying to uh, distance the civilian population from the combatants, doing more than was done during World War II by the Allies to uh, minimize, say, uh, German casualties. In law, when someone brings a criminal or a civil case to the courts, they look at precedents, how cases were decided previously, and that often carries weight in deciding how a case presently before the court is decided. Now, current events with time become history. And the best way to uh, chart and plan the course of current events is to look back at history. How was collateral damage handled in World War II, in the Korean War, in the Vietnam War? What is being done now in, in Israel? How does it compare to previous efforts? I don't see that being explored in the news media. And it largely does not seem to be explored in uh, universities. There is a saying, when you want to win an argument, you raise you raise the facts, and when you're losing an argument, you raise your voice. Now, if you look at where the shouting is coming from, you can kind of see who's losing the argument. Israel is at war with a neighbor that is not disputing its border with Israel, but is disputing Israel's right to exist. It should be crystal clear that there is nothing to discuss. Israel has devoted uh, almost 30 years making painful concessions to make a, the Oslo Accords and subsequent related agreements work. And it has been, it has been a failure. Israel has nothing, nothing to apologize for. Our news media and our universities should take a look at history, take a look at the dictionary and look at the difference between genocide and collateral damage. I thank you all for listening, and I hope that by the time we get back together next week, that we are closer to peace than we are today. Thank you, and may we all have a blessed week. This wraps up another weekly episode of Between the Presets. I thank you all for the pleasure of sharing with me my weekly muse. Whatever platform you access, hitting like, subscribe, or leaving a comment is much appreciated. My email address 
is the winter riders at gmail.com the winter riders at gmail.com until next week adio which in some african languages means born on monday or be righteous and closely resembles adios in spanish <laughs>